0: okay stunning all right uh i guess we'll start the podcast then it's always weird right starting a podcast because you do it so many dang times and it's like i should i should i mix it up it's never a good idea to mix it up. It's a bad choice every time. Um, but but still, um so I guess this is I guess this is the start of the podcast. Hi, welcome to the Kingdom of Podcast. My name is Abby O'Kelly. Um, this is our two year anniversary episode. Ooh! Um, it's episode 101. I'm I'm extremely stoked about it. I'm terribly nervous because today I'm with Sarah Wendell, who I like, okay, for just to get it out of the way. Sarah, when I started the podcast two years ago, um, I did an episode zero where I introduced, you know, who I am, Mm -hmm. which is no one of importance, but my relationship to romance novels, why I think they're important, um, why I wanted to talk about them, why I wanted people to listen to me talk about them, which is always hard sell. Um and actually in our episode zero, I quoted your book. No way. <laughs> yeah, I did oh, at how the end funny. of the episode. Yeah. Um, the part where you uh you and Candy Tan wrote this really in, in your intro, I think, to Heaving Bosoms. Um, it was like uh so we raise our glasses to all of those who who um read the smutty books. And yeah, it's just that was the like end quote to the episode. So I was like, you know what, for episode you know, 101 for our two-year anniversary. Who is more fitting to be on than Sarah?
1: Thank you. I'm really honored to be here and congratulations.
0: Thank you. That's Thank quite you. a milestone. Yeah, yeah. I took September off for the for the first time. I took, a, took an actual break. Good. Um, In two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was necessary. Um, But I've been doing a lot of interviews and stuff in the meantime. So we're going to have a lot of fun stuff coming up this month. It's our Technically, it's her birthday month, but this is like the big episode. Um, so pressure is on. The pressure right, is on. Yes, you have to be a. You have to be funny. B. Oh, you have pressure. to be charming. Oh, cherubic, bother. erudite, elegant. Like can't
1: show my ankle. Have to make sure that my uh, my fashion is pristine and my curtsy is good. Yeah, this I'm pretty is...
0: sure you're wearing overalls right now. So I sure am. Yes, yeah, I am. You're already there. All right, right? cool. And, yeah, it's, it's no problem. Is that a quilt I see in the background? Is that a yes. quilt with eyes?
1: No, that is a quilt.
0: <laughs> okay. Cap. The eyes. The
1: eyes are a oh. pillow of the site logo with the ladies yes. on it.
0: Okay, that makes, well, I'm not going to say it's less terrifying than what I thought initially. Just but eyes
1: it's looking over my shoulder, you
0: know. Several pairs of eyes. I can't say anything. I've got cursed dollies looking at me right now.
1: Well, I mean, what my... more do you need?
0: My friends are bad and they give me bad things. Um, They, Yeah, they think it's very funny that I do this podcast and that I sit in a little closet. And they're like, what if I put dolls in your closet for you? (laughs) It's great. Um, So, Sarah. Yes, ma'am. You are, if I have to think of like, okay, who is an expert (laughs) on romance novels? Quite literally, the only person I can think of is you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There are actually several. There are a lot of people uh, who know a little bit about lots of different parts of the romance world, but I suppose at this point I'm one of them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're definitely you're you've you've literally written the book. So I don't uh you know, there are there are definitely other people who are who are experts, but I when I think of an expert, I think of you. Yeah. Um, so I am like I I was Staring at my ceiling last night, having like an existential crisis about what I was going to talk to you about today. <laughs> so I was like, "There is, there is literally like we could talk about everything. We could talk about everything about romance novels." Um, True. There's,
1: I mean, there's very little to talk about with the genre. It's very boring. Nothing changes. Oh, there's, it's very no. not. It's not really a very sexy topic. No.
0: It's also not culturally relevant at all. <laughs> oh, um so I I thought you could talk a little bit at first about your origin story, your villain origin story in this in this genre, villain and origin where you story. come from. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe the start of Smart Bitches, maybe? maybe?
1: Sure, absolutely. Hello, I'm Sarah. Um, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, but I don't I'm have so the sorry. awesome accent much to my sadness, because the accent, the regional accent is fabulous. Um, I started reading romance senior year of high school, and this was... So I graduated high school in 1993. So this is the early 90s, and at that time, romance was still mostly uh, very large, fat paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fuchsia, some teal, a lot of unicorns, a lot of birds in the background. Yeah, if you liked the old school covers, that was pretty much that was pretty much all you could find. That yeah. and then Harlequin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This was. The very late 80s and the early 90s was a period of time when romance was sort of growing as a genre. It's, you know, from the 70s to the 80s and into the early 90s. It's a very different style of romance. And it's weird to sort of look back on those books. And if I reread them now, there's half of my brain that's like, wow, this is so... What's worse than problematic on the quadrant of problematic and holy crap, I'm like off the scale at this point. And then on the other part of my brain, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. This totally worked on me. So when I was a senior, I went to the library and the valedictorian of my high school class, there were two, uh, the girl um, valedictorian, she was reading a very, very, very big paperback in the library. And I, of course, being 17, had all of the requisite insecurities. And I worked up my courage to ask her what she was reading. And she said, and I quote, oh, my God, it's a romance novel. I cannot believe you haven't read one. Oh, my God, come over here. And then, like, drags me over to the spinner rack. Because back in the day, um, they weren't always cataloged in the library. They were just put on a wire rack and the rack would spin And they weren't necessarily shelved. They were just on these little racks around the library. And she's like, okay, I have read all of these books. Okay, I've read all of them. And I have dog-eared the sex pages that are good at the top. And if there's a dog-ear on the bottom, it is so bad and you do not want to read it. And I was just like, this is so many words. And I'm really overwhelmed by the information, but please tell me everything. So she had read and like basically trigger warned all of these (laughs) late 80s, early 90s, fat ass paper, like really, really big, like 400 plus pages of the cheapest paper you've ever felt in your life. Oh, and she had she had like trigger warned them. The good sex is at the top. And if you see a dog ear at the bottom, that means it's consensually dubious or just, you know, straight up rape. So you can just skip that. And I'm like, this is this is amazing.
0: The, that, is there anything more romance, nope. like fandom than nope. that girl? That, I like she's she amazing. bodies. Like I, that is amazing.
1: And that unreal. So then she went to the bathroom and I started reading the book that she was reading, and I thought it was really good, so I checked it out and left the library before she got out of the ladies' room and I stole <laughs> her book. True story. Still feel guilty? That was uh, mid summer. Magic. I got to double check because there's Midsummer Moon and Midsummer Magic, but I'm reasonably certain it was Midsummer Magic by Catherine Coulter.
0: Oh, of course it was Catherine Coulter. It it could
1: not. This was before all of the classic historical romance authors as a group decided they were going to start writing romantic suspense. Yeah. And this was still when they were writing historicals. And Catherine Coulter, okay, this book is so... So amazing. It's just, it's just replete with all of the things you remember about older romances. Mm-hmm. Um, the heroine disguises herself as an ugly, dowdy woman with really thick glasses because the hero's father is forcing him to marry one of her or her sisters because of some life debt from his father. <sighs> but, you know, as you do. And yeah. she's like, if Aunt, he's super popular. He likes to go to London. He wants to go like have lots and lots of sex and go go to bone town and yeah, obviously i want to not be chosen i want to stay here and run my family's horse business or whatever and her sisters are super charming and adorable and in the end he picks her because he's like awesome i will just dump her in the country and go back to london wham bam consummated thank you ma'am and my marriage responsibilities are over it never works out that way because what? no <laughs> never works out i know can you imagine so she is continually disguising herself even after they're married. This is the book where if you've heard about a hero using cream to ease his way, that's this book. He knows that like they have to have sex and so she he like busts out this big jar of cream so that it doesn't hurt. And I'm like he, there's a lot wrong with this guy. Wait,
0: hold on. Wait, but that part but was on. not
1: so bad. Yeah. Okay,
0: it, but hold on, Sarah. I need early... you to confirm what kind of, cr- what
1: it's kind never, of cream. It's never specified. So you can probably bet on a roaring yeast infection from this I, whole a, deal.
0: Hopefully it's not clotted. the clotted variety. I think it was
1: like a skin cream. Like his valet uh, gives like a it to him. I, I could only hope.
0: Oh, bless! Some sort oh. of some sort
1: of emoll- emollient moisturizer. I'm I guessing. I mean, I
0: guess it's more. It's better than nothing, but
1: yeah, but exactly. The, the
0: use of the ambiguous use of the word "cream" is where I have a problem, and I know that that's a quite the hill to die on. Oh, um, but I'm you know. I get it. I get it. Yeah, oh yeah, capital This C book cream. is
1: this book does a lot. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this book. Every so often, I reread it, and like I have that dual. Brain experience of wow, yeah. this is very different from the romance that is being published today. And yet, the nostalgia part of my soul is like, oh yeah, I remember this. This book is amazing. Keep reading. There's a so, couple of Joanna Lindsay's like that too. Where oh I'm like, god, Joanna
0: Lindsay, really? I I tr- I have tried, and I missed the boat. I think if I had read her when I was like thirteen,
1: it's fine. 14, yeah, I absolutely. You, you can't take a reader who has experienced. You know, historical romance from Beverly Jenkins and yeah. Courtney Milan and Tessa mm-hmm. Dare and Jeannie Lynn and Sherry Thomas. You can't take someone who's experienced that and be like, okay, so also read this and have them not it's experience great. some kind of culture shock because it's very, very different.
0: So here's the deal yeah. I have done, uh, there's a mini series I've done on the podcast where I've done like the history of romance. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. I've done, I did Pamela. Um, I did. Uh, <laughs> Did flame of the flame and the flowers, our first two episodes, which was quite the choice. Oh,
1: I've,
0: I've oh, made choices, ooh. and that was that one in particular was a bad one. Um,
1: <gasps> oh, that's I, tough, super yeah, tough. That one,
0: super, super hard, just all of it, so hard. Um, I even did, um, I'm, I'm working on another one right now. Uh, spoilers, I'm working on a um, uh, Gilgamesh uh, audio essay right now, which I'm extremely excited about. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, um, but you know, I I kind of tried to run through the history of the romance novel on the podcast in bits and bites because I know that if you get super deep into the lore, um, I
1: think there's a lot of people. lore.
0: There's a lot, but I I I think it's important because I've been I was I was thinking about it last night, and I was thinking about how. Um, in discussing with you the history of romance novels like it is like why it matters is because when we look at romance novels like the the whole lineage mm-hmm. um it's like taking a core sample of culture right yes um, absolutely like It's it's you can see the stratified layers of, you know, um, obscenity laws and sexual representation and gender representation um, and like feminism and where they kind of begin, where they falter. Um, And it's I think that's like the coolest thing that almost almost gets so overlooked for.
1: Absolutely. I think in any historical period, if you look at what was popular at that time, you learn a lot Mm -hmm. more about The culture and the society in which that piece of media was created, unfortunately, not a lot of things from way, way, way long ago, not a lot of those survive because paper breaks down. Romance is a really interesting artifact of how a lot of people and a lot of women write about themselves Mm -hmm. for, what, 50 years now? That's an incredible artifact, no question.
0: Well, and if you look back, it's like, what... The writer is imagining as the idealized, most personal relationship you can really imagine, right? Mm -hmm. Like who you want to have sex with. We're Mm -hmm. not in, you know, in whatever case. But in general, like that relationship, what the ideal for that person is at that moment is not going to be the same as what it was, you know, for Pamela. Yeah. Right. Like 1765 or whatever the hell. Yes. Um, When the
1: wages of sex were death. Or shame yes. and then death, but usually yes. death.
0: But usually death. Yes, um, the the dick will kill, uh, and we all we all know that. Um, yeah, I so I was just like I was thinking about about the history of it, and I was thinking about um, uh, Fanny Hill. <laughs> Hmm. Um. And I was thinking about how it went to the Supreme Court twice um, <laughs> and how that is just because I was looking at what is the definition of obscenity, right? Like in the law, uh, when can things officially be censored for pornography, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how Fannie Hill's case was the landmark case for that When The second time it went to the Supreme Court in 1966, it was established that although it was definitely porn and although it was definitely obscene, um, the one thing. That made it so it couldn't be banned in the United States was that it couldn't be proven that it had no artistic or cultural value.
1: Yep. Ha ha. Nanny, nanny, nanny. Yeah you you can't you can't argue that something that is enjoyed and popular has no value because the value is in the fact that it was enjoyed. Yes. Like it 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 always makes me kind of. Annoyed, uh, which is probably the milder word. Mm -hmm. Whenever somebody wants to judge other people for what they consume for their own enjoyment, if you're not hurting anybody, I mean, books are a great way to work out what you like in the privacy of your own imagination. That's a pretty important thing. And it's kind of amazing uh, to think that books can make you horny. That's kind of incredible. I mean, that's a real skill to because I've always said that romance traffics and empathy, right? Romance is about engaging empathically and empathetically um, with the characters. You are being invited to feel and more importantly, you're being invited to put your emotions in a space that are safe because you know that the ending will be okay, that the dick will not kill you um, and the wages of sex are not death and disease and shame and then more death. It's it's just things are going to be good. You can figure all of this stuff out in the privacy of your imagination, knowing that you are putting your feelings in a safe location. And you can also specify how much sexual content you want in a book now, which I kind of love. That's amazing. All of this is just reflections of what humans are doing. And the more narrow the uh, prescribed definition of what a specific type of person should be like, the more variety there is in the entertainment around it, because no one wants to be just that one narrow thing. We're yeah. not all the same. So having books that make people happy, it I don't, I don't see the problem. I don't, I, and I and I always get very frustrated when people get very judgmental about what other people are reading. Like, yeah. who cares, really? Who cares? Why does it, why does it matter? What someone else is putting in their eyeballs or their eardrums? Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, I, I encounter this all the time. So I am a I'm a bookseller as well. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, it is it is really frustrating when I get particularly honestly parents are mostly guilty of this in my experience where their kid wants to read something and then they say, no, you need to get a real book. You can't get a graphic novel. You have to get a real book. You can't get like. You know, it it ranges from like, oh, this is fiction. Why don't you get nonfiction? Like, do, what are you talking about? your kids reading? That's amazing.
1: That makes me so mad. and it 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 deeply bums me out because I see that all the time, too. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting watching my own children. So I have a fifteen year old and an almost seventeen year old. And for the most part, they would prefer to read in print, whereas I read almost everything exclusively digitally. Part yeah. of that is just convenience because I read so quickly. I have you know seven thousand books with me on one device. Sounds oh great, but also because I yes. can crank the text size up to a, um, a comfortable size. And yeah. here, here is the the hill that I will die on and be cranky about. Ebooks are an accessibility issue. If anyone comes at me with real books versus not real books, I, I'll go off because that is an accessibility and a comfort issue to allow reading to be more accessible to more people. Um, And I don't care about your paper fetish. So please do not bring that comment to me.
0: (laughs) I am so with you. This, like, absolutely nonsensical, like, uh, audiobook debate versus print versus ebook, why,
1: And if people I, say that to me too, like, well, I guess you don't think that's reading. I'm like, why would I not think that's reading? I, wh- why is my opinion of what you're doing at all relevant here? It is not.
0: Yeah. It is so, so, so frustrating. frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, it, it does make it more satisfying when someone comes into the bookstore and like kind of hedges about what they're looking for. And usually when they're hedging and they don't really want to say, I lead with, so, do you like romance? Yeah, <laughs> and they immediately go, "Yeah, yeah,
1: I yeah. do, oh, yeah. I do, oh yeah."
0: <laughs> um, and I and they leave with a big old stack of books, and that's that is like, just that's the fantastic. best,
1: right? Watching it's someone so walk good. out with a big old stack—it's
0: <laughs> so good. And we're—that's one hopeful thing about right now is that we like I sell more books every single day than I ever have, um, and that's that's wonderful. Nice um, going. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. Do I wish that the the younger generation were reading slightly like less angsty romance on the whole? Yes, but I know that their time will come when they will look for hope and not tears. so I, I will wait it out.
1: So here's my theory on that. Yeah My younger child has probably read no exaggeration, 10 million words of fanfic this year. Easily, Less always sad. reading, always. And yeah. it's weird because I, I said they prefer print with the exception of fanfic. Fanfic is digital for, for, for them. Yeah. I think that when you are young, what I call the pool of emotional experience is small. Yeah. You haven't been alive that long. So anything that gets tossed into the pool is gonna create a big, big reaction. There's gonna be a lot of waves. There's gonna be a lot of displacement. And when you are a teen, and I remember especially my early 20s, All of my emotions were massive and annoying and exhausting and confusing. And in the world right now, the people who are graduating high school are are entering a world that is so different from the world I entered when I graduated. I entered into a great economy. There was no question that I would be able to get a job or afford an apartment. Um, It was a completely different world. And all of the things that the young adults are entering into now, a lot of it sucks Like, it sucks out loud. And so you have all of this overwhelming negativity and all of this apprehension. And then you have a pool of emotional experience that is constantly experiencing upheaval. And I think that these super emotional books that are appealing to that particular group of readers, which are not my thing at all, um, I think that what they do is they answer that enormous upset of emotional feeling with, and it's gonna be okay, So you're going to have the same tumultuous, oh, my God, emotions all over the floor. It's a mess. Get the mop. But it's going to be okay. It's still doing the same thing as romance. Now, that's not my jam because I am older and my pool of emotional experience is bigger. And I try really hard to just maintain my surface tension as chill as possible. So for, for me, as a, as a person who's in her 40s, having something drop into the water of my pool is not necessarily gonna create a big wave because it's a big pool. But for younger people, yeah. it's smaller. And I think that books are f- serving that same function. That said, I can't read those because I find them emotionally exhausting. If I engage my empathy with that particular style of romance, I'm like, I'm just depleted by like chapter four. <laughs> I can't, I can, I'm like, no, this is not my jam. Gonna switch it, you to something know,
0: else. I think also, as an intro, like I uh-huh. get it. I get it. Oh, they sure. are they are bombastic. They are um, w- when you finish one and you really enjoyed the pain, all you want to do is talk about it. Yeah. So it's what it's what gets promoted to these teens who are you know on TikTok or Twitter or whatever the hell, um, and then they pick it up for the first time. It's usually their first romance novel, and they it's a gateway to a world that they previously have probably only experienced in fan fiction so they're going to run through the backlist of yep. whatever they can get that's in the exact same vein yeah and then they hit a wall and they get exhausted and then they reach for something else and that's when they get into the the wider pool of, mm-hmm. of romance which is which that's why when they come in i don't try and steer them to something else you know i go like okay you liked this is this what you're looking for? If so, then here you go. Mm-hmm. If you do want something else, I'm here. I'm here to give you probably the most curated romance novel recommendations In the city. Um, (laughs) I'm here for you. Um, And they usually come back and then they go, "Okay, I need something a little bit lighter. I'm like, all right, let me let me get you something else. Um, But it's it's I, I don't have a problem with it so much as I'm like, I eagerly await the moment when they realize that there is more. Oh, yeah. And that there is, like, so much hope to be found in in um traditional, you know, romance, as, as in traditional, not as in traditional publishing, just like the wide variety of romance novels. Absolutely. Because um, I think, goddamn, they, like you said, they do need it. Oh, boy, do they need it. We all need it. um So, you know. Yeah, I
1: agree. And I think that one of the things that I have, um I've been added, let me look it up real quick, I have been added to a um a distribution list for the for the bookscan npd group which as i'm sure you know only tracks print doesn't track yes. ebooks doesn't track audio doesn't track no. digital downloads and it doesn't track libraries but it does track print
0: as and... made famous in the prh uh, case recently
1: oh my <laughs> god that so as an as a person with a lot of empathy every time someone reported anything that was being said on the stand <laughs> all i could think of is every publicist and marketer and editorial assistant i know the people who are the the youngest people in the in the industry who just started who who like like <sighs> these are the people with box cutters, right? These are the people yeah. who open the boxes and do all of the, the you know, they've got a clipboard and a box cutter at a conference and they're unloading books all over the tables. They don't have the glam jobs. They don't have big swanky lunches. These are the, and I'm like, all of you must be so miserable right now listening to someone who runs your company talk about how they don't know how your company works.
0: As, as a bookseller it was miserable to hear as someone who talks to publicists for this podcast it was miserable to hear as someone who has tried to get traditionally published it was miserable to hear as a a self-published author it was miserable to hear yes all of it was miserable and it was just this like, we all knew, we all knew the mess, right? We knew yeah. the mess, but we, we had not talk su- about the we mess. We
1: suspected really. you didn't know what was yeah. going on, but now you've just straight up set out your own mouth that you don't know what so is cool. going on. So cool, nothing means on. anything
0: anymore, huh? Okay, cool, 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 cool. The nihilism really hit peak um oh, and i did I actually just... recorded a whole episode on it after like just as the trial was wrapping up um and i recorded it with uh, a fellow bookseller and bookstore owner and we both just like
1: went off right
0: like yeah i just like I, I i think in the description of the episode i put like abigail um takes her chances of getting traditionally published and takes them out back um, <laughs> 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 yeah because like i got so mad <laughs>
1: I do not blame you, Oh, no. But one of the things that NPD said in a recent uh, press release is that, in their opinion, um, and this is um, Kristen McLean, who's the book industry analyst, she says that, in in her perspective, the data that is showing from the influence of print sales driven specifically by book talk and within the the big book talk titles. Um, mm-hmm. This growth is happening and, in her opinion, is a new audience. It's a new fan base. Yes. It's yes, a it new it's brand new. It's a brand new readership. And like you said, you're interested in seeing where they go, what they read next. I am so curious to see what that group of readers, um, what, what they'll change about the industry. Because when readers who are accustomed to inclusive and innovative and nuanced YA reached romance and were like, why is everybody white and cisgendered and straight? And Christian, what is this? No, Why thank is you. everyone
0: pregnant at the end of the book? What's yeah, like, my
1: goodness. not Not a single person has had an abortion, like at all? What? That doesn't statistically bear out. That is where part of the demand for diverse books came from. Readers saying, yeah, no, uh-uh, we're not doing this. Because, I mean, a business's job is to make money. Like, that's literally yes. their mandate. They have to make money for shareholders. And if the thing that's going to make you money is to do the same thing over and over again, then you're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again.
0: Well, that's publishing's whole deal.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like a cruise ship, right? It doesn't yeah. pivot very well. And so
0: that's... Rom-coms, man. I've got, oh. a, ooh, I've got a storm about rom-coms. Oh, dear ooh, I've got a storm about rom-coms brewing, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> I believe it. But when you have a readership that's like, no, this is not what I want. I want this. And you have a readership that is like, and I will pay 15 bucks a book for it. The industry's going to listen to you. So yes. go ahead. Bring change. Love it. Sounds great.
0: I this is also like excuse me, another topic I wanted to touch on with you because yes. um, you being in being an expert. Um <clears throat> <laughs> uh, or
1: or entirely full of crap and making it up as I go along. It's a 50-50 shot. You never know. You
0: know, here's what I say. <laughs> this is free content. If you take any sort of legitimacy from this, that's on you, baby. <laughs> yeah. And if you think I'm wrong, it's
1: fine. Yeah, it's cool. That's fine. I mean, I'm I working with the information person. that I have. But I mean, publishing is such a wide industry now. The The process of I have written a book and I want to put it in the marketplace is so wide and, and so, so many varied. options now. Yeah. You can't possibly know everything about the industry. I mean, let's be real, right? The yeah. industry doesn't know what its no. self is is they doing. Like we can't anything. even we can't even accurately measure sales. We have no. lists like the New York Times booksellers list. You know that's like five books in a hat and like three weasels <laughs> in a trench coat walk up to the hat and are like, all right, this one this book is going to be number nine. Okay, great. And number nine is something, okay, sure, yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so much of like i I wish I've said it before on the podcast, but like i I cannot convey to listeners how old this industry is and how it's one of those industries that being so old, has grandfathered in so many archaic bullshit practices that make no sense and would never fly in any other industry. Top to bottom, soup to nuts. All the way from a a writer writing a book at home, unrepresented, Mm -hmm. to the top, tippy-tippy-tippy-top of the publishing industry. All of it is rife with these, like, absolute bananas, like, holdovers from 300 years ago. It's true. like it it just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense It doesn't make any sense sarah um the more i think about it the more infuriated i get but that being said specifically for romance novels and specifically for this day we are living in where readers are demanding new things these all of these new readers are coming in from instagram from tiktok so on so forth yada yada um they are they are demanding new things they are demanding um, sex in their books more than I think they ever have. Um, I, they are very vocal in their uh, their love of <laughs> spicy books. Um,
1: so, I are you are books. you deriving this from what com- customers say in the bookstore yes. and what yes. you see online?
0: What yeah. I see online, what I like, I. Cruising through my like Instagram Explorer feed, which is all extremely smutty excerpts, right? Yeah. Um, the tender stuff, the tender quotes are not selling books. It is the absolutely explicit quotes that are selling books. Um, at yeah. the same time, mm-hmm. we are in an unprecedented moment on the internet of censorship of those very things. Yep. Um, and I and I, in real life too. Yes, it has yeah. in real life too, but I think it is like I I don't. I'm so interested in a very kind of morbid, not super happy way uh, about where we're going to go from here as um, this generation is being molded by being very OK with the use of euphemisms for, you know, to get around the algorithm, to get around the bot, right, that that will censor mm-hmm. them on TikTok. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to, to hear what you think is going to be the outcome of people who simultaneously can't talk about sex wanting more sex in their books than ever.
1: Well, I think we've always used euphemisms for sexual content. Um, because the problem is the minute you say, the minute you try to engage with someone who is outside the romance community about the sexual content of romance novels, Mm -hmm. you, you might get a, oh, that's really interesting, but very rarely do you get a neutral reaction to the concept of sex. If it's the media, they're going to be like, tell me all about the sex part. I don't care about the plot part. I just need you to talk about the sex part because romance is sex is one of the predominant major mainstream media narratives. But we have always used code, you know, Mm -hmm. we've always used codes to describe the books we're reading. When I was interviewing um, Emma Hawley for my first book, Beyond Heaving Bosoms, uh, Emma Hawley said that essentially conservative administrations are outstanding for erotic romance sales. The more you try to police and limit someone's sexuality, the more they're going to explore it in their entertainment. So the minute you have people cracking down on your right to have birth control, your right to have an abortion, your right to access health care, your right to uh, uh, live your life in the gender and identity that you choose, the more you try to limit that in the real world, the more the entertainment about it is just going to explode in, in opposition to all of that yeah. nonsense. I think we've always used code. What happens for me that I find so interesting is that the more readers talk, the more specificity there is in the code. Now, the bad part about the code is that it creates an in group and an out group. If you're just looking for books where there's monster fucking, you can't just roll up on TikTok and say, I'm looking for monster fucking because my understanding is TikTok's going to be like, I'm sorry, despite being owned by the Chinese government, you're not permitted to say fucking. Yeah. You can talk about communism. That sounds great. But we haven't. Have we reached communism as sexual metaphor yet? Because I bet I bet I bet
0: TikTok would really go for that. Like sex, communism is for everybody.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're just going to use communist metaphors to discuss all the, yeah. all the the sexy times. I remember doing an interview on NPR, another venue where you can't be like, and then his cock was nine feet long and it had a second one. Like You can't yeah. like roll onto NPR with that. But I, I remember talking to Linda Holmes at one point and she was like, so this has all the peppers, all the spicy peppers. I'm like, oh, yes, this is a 10 pepper book. We all understand what I just uh-huh. said. You know, uh-huh. hot, spicy pepper. That was, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. So we've always used code. It's just, to me, it says, look, we're always going to talk about sex. We're always going to talk about going to Bone Town, whether you try to stop us or not.
0: This is true.
1: (laughs) This is true. The road to Bone Town is a very well-trod path.
0: Everyone is horny. Your grandmother is freakier than you. Like, oh. let it go. It's I don't know. Fine. Where,
1: where did I? I want to say this was Tumblr. I will tell you, as an old on the internet, one of my favorite places to go that is goofy and completely chaotic is Tumblr. Once you find the oh, fandoms. I, spent, you,
0: I spent my formative years on Tumblr. Right? You know what I'm yeah. talking about. I, it's I know a, exactly what you're talking about. It's an
1: absolute chaos maelstrom and yeah. it's wonderful. But untamable,
0: unadvertisable. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic.
1: (laughs) In fact, they recently monetized your ability to make a post go beyond your followers list. And people were like, wait, you mean I can pay Tumblr to make my picture of my pet lizard seen by like I'm going to make sure everyone sees my lizard, literally a lizard, not a euphemism, an actual lizard. And everyone's like, that's a great lizard. Thank you for paying for like, this is this is how monetization on Tumblr is going to go. More chaos. But somebody on Tumblr, and I cannot find it because the other problem with Tumblr is you can't search for shit. No. Nope. Wait, am I allowed to curse on you? Oh, you can curse okay.
0: up a storm.
1: I should have asked first. So somebody on Tumblr said that we as humans are horny, electrified bags of meat. Mm-hmm. We are horny, electric bags of meat. If you can yes. sort of hold that in your brain, a lot of things that otherwise you're being told you ought to worry about become not so consequential. We're always going to talk about sex because we're horny electrified
0: bags of meat. Because our like biology is primed to want to continue on in the next generation because we're animals. That's <clears throat> it. You are just a nasty little animal. We're all animals. Lucky you can shower. So like <laughs> it's okay. Yeah.
1: And you know what? If you don't want to have sex, that's cool too. Yeah, man. I I I Defy don't destiny. always... Defy
0: destiny. Defy evolution. Darwin sucks.
1: Yeah. Do what you want. It's okay. This is your house. This is your horny electrified yeah. meat suit. You do whatever you want with it. That's your mm-hmm. house. And mm-hmm. it, it, it is baffling to me that you can try to control something like that. And I kind of look at it like there's a lot of times when something will come up on Twitter or something will be discussed online about romance. And I will feel like I am on the front porch of the Romance Landia, you know, home in a rocking chair with a quilt and some crochet just rocking back and forth going oh yeah i remember that we've done this one twice is it a third time now fabulous let's, let's let's do it i know all the words to this song like for example i look at some of the struggles that book talkers have about how they are expected to promote and discuss books for no compensation and i'm like oh we went through this Book bloggers went through this. Reviewers went through this. Instagram went through this. Twitter, I went through this. And it's just Mm -hmm. another group of people. If you are listening and you are a book talker, the phrase that you want is, and do you have a budget line for this promotion? Because you can be paid for the work that you do and don't ever let anyone tell you that this is a passion project. You should promote it out of the good of your own soul. This is literally my job. Like my job is running my website and my podcast. And I am so friggin' blown away that my job has continued as long as it has Mm -hmm. but it is a business and you have the right to be paid for the work that you do promoting a book that you love or that you you know tolerate it's fine you should be allowed to ask about being payment and I look being paid and I look at that like that particular conversation I'm like oh yeah still doing that huh okay Mm. Mm now come over here young children (laughs)
0: <laughs> let, let grandma let grandma give you be. I just tell you how to deal with
1: this conversation.
0: <laughs> I you know I I also I coming from being a bookseller for several years yeah. now and also being a writer and it's it's a it's been an interesting experience encountering um the culture of readers of self-published work, Um, particularly the ARC conversation around self-published work and street teams and things um, has been very, it's a very, very different world. Um, And I am uncomfortable with a lot of the um, demands for free labor from readers that many self-published authors have become very comfortable with um like I I you know I give out arcs occasionally and stuff for my stuff but like I I at first I I didn't think to specify to people that they're under no obligation to review anything as a bookseller as somebody who runs this podcast I get listen I get a lot of arcs y'all like I Sarah the amount of arcs you get I can't even fucking imagine like there's no way you can read them all even if you like one even if you are excited about one you are pro- there's like a maybe a 10 percent chance you're gonna get to that book and then even like a 5 percent chance you're gonna write or say something about that book yep it that's that's the game baby it's okay i get sent blind arcs i don't even know arcs are coming and i'm like oh shit i'm probably never gonna read that thanks for sending it though
1: I like it when they arrive 1030 a.m. next day delivery. Like, did you think I was going to drop my whole day and read this book yeah. like, right friggin now? Why are you yeah. doing this? Or
0: I get a whole series out of nowhere. Like I like I got, you know, I got all of them. Um, uh, who's the person who did all the hockey ones that uh, TikTok was obsessed about recently? Kennedy something? Kennedy something.
1: Kennedy. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about, but yeah. I cannot. The name just flew out of my head, too. I
0: got sent it's, like six books out of nowhere. I was like, oh. oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Okay, God. Um, but I I started getting emails back from people who had signed up to receive my ARCs and then I had sent them. And then they were like, you know, a few weeks later, a couple of months later, they were like, I am so sorry. I i don't know that I'm going to be able to make a review by the time that your book is coming out. And I'm like, I'm so, so sorry. I have this like big family. And I'm sitting here like... Oh, sweet baby. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. I would never expect you to. This was a courtesy thing. I'd be happy to know you just enjoyed the book. Like yeah. I don't care. Like it's okay. Absolutely. I don't expect you to do any free labor. Like there, there. I'm flinging these out into the universe and hoping someone likes it. That's okay. That's how it goes. Um. So yeah, I do. I do worry. I worry a lot about these um, these kids out here who are you know, blowing up on the internet for their book reviews and stuff, and then thinking that they have to maintain that pace for no compensation. Um, and you do
1: not, you do not, you do not.
0: The, the pressure is immense, and the guilt is immense. And I, I, I to all of you, I say, Please get your money. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and also, feel free to say no mm-hmm. or to not finish a book. Uh, that's that's okay, baby. Oh, yeah. it's okay. Oh yeah. There's You're... too many books out there.
1: I think that, on one hand, there's so there's so many things converging in the relationship between fandoms and creators right now. For one yes. thing, um, especially specifically in publishing. You know, every so often we'll go through a cycle of, oh, all these women authors are just on social media all the time. And I'm like, yes, extremely wealthy, cishet, white Christian dude, you got a $9 million promotional budget for your work. And Mm -hmm. most authors have to build their own audience and network Mm -hmm. for their own marketing. And it's now expected of them. So I understand the idea of having people who are so excited about your work and asking them, could you please do these things that help me continue to do the thing? Yes. And I, re- I remember um, NK Jemison's, uh, I think it was her Patreon. She said, I want to write more books and I have a job. And in order for me to quit my job and write these books, this is what I need. And yeah. I, think, I think it was surpassed within like 48 hours. And I'm like, that's yeah. friggin' awesome. To be able to have a readership say, Yes, I love what you do and I want to support you directly, like, that's part yes. of my own revenue structure. People yeah. saying, I love your show. I wish to support it. And I want to make sure you keep commissioning transcripts. Like, this is great. That that makes a lot of sense. I understand that completely, yeah. especially in the sphere where you have publishers who are like, I don't know how a book happens. And it publishes this bestseller. It must be magic. I have no idea. Yeah. Oy. And on the other hand, you have the evolution of what what I see referred to as the parasocial celebrity relationship, where in order to be famous in <sighs> any venue, you have to just reveal so much of your life so that people feel intimately connected with you personally in order to support what you do. And as a person who creates things on the internet, I don't necessarily agree with that. For one thing, I'm fundamentally a deeply boring person. No one wants to know all this stuff about me. Like, wow, you wanna know about how I play Power Wash Simulator while listening to podcasts for like an hour a day to unwind? It's real exciting. Yeah. No one wants to live stream that. No. So there's this expectation of when you support a creator they're going to give you this unlimited bounty of themselves and i don't think that's ideal either that's not no. optimal so all of these things are sort of working themselves out and at no time should anyone feel obligated to do something arduous for without compensation and arcs are not currency i don't pay my mortgage with arcs nope they are not a valid form nope. of currency you can assign Can't them value no, and I mean, I mean you, you can, can assign run, them probably. valuable the value with their with their rarity. Yeah. But like the first so the first time so the site started in 2005. And Yeah, you're
0: coming up on 15 years. How does that feel?
1: Frightening. <laughs> so wait, hold on. The same age as my son. So yeah, 17 years this year. 2005 to 2022, 17 years. Next year oh, the the site has its license and now it will get to vote. But I yes. remember when a publicist, and, th- and I remember who it was. This was Erin Galloway, who's now at Penguin Random House. But this was back when she was at Dorchester, which was a publisher that sank to the bottom of the ocean.
0: That say that no longer exists. That does
1: not exist. How many publishing houses will we see go away is kind of a scary question, but I've already seen like four. So she emailed me from Dorchester like, would you like to be on our list? And I was like, what list of what? list because I was reading and reviewing books that I got from an online paperback swap where I would like get three yeah. books and send three back and I was like oh a list and she says well you know we'll send you books I'm like what for free and she's like yeah they're before they were published they're they're arcs and I'm like they're what like I had new I had no idea no idea oh
0: my god and this was back
1: when they were this was back when you know publishers had more money and they were printed on a heavy paper and they were wrapped in like a almost construction paper textured cover that was a single color and it was just author title and like there was no special production to the arcs they were very basic and I got some and I was like oh my god they're like premature babies (laughs) they're so little and so delicate oh my god they're not even out yet oh I must keep my arc secret so I I read one I read another one like this is great and then more would arrive I'd be like this is amazing I have often thought that I should have blogged about jewelry and yachts because it would be cool if those showed up on the porch. But books is a great, nice. great second option. I'm yeah. very thrilled to have all yeah. these books. But then I emailed Erin. I was like, OK, so do you want these back? And she was like, God, no, <laughs> do not
0: send That's them back. so sweet.
1: Like, you know, she, like what so am I doing sweet. with them?
0: And she said, well, you can
1: recycle them. And I was Yay, like, oh, put yeah, I them know. in the recycling. I know A book? I know. So when we moved... So this is 2000, i say this about 2006, 2007. We moved from that house in 2015 and we cleaned out our mm-hmm. basement and I found like five boxes of ARCs that I couldn't bring myself to <laughs> recycle. And at that point I was, you know, cranky and old and also not paying someone to move these to another state. Yeah. So I did recycle them yeah. like 10, 10 years later.
0: <laughs> oh my God. So do you want to hear how I learned about ARCs for the first time? Yes.
1: It's, it's so funny, right? <sighs> It's such uh, a weird feature of this industry.
0: It's like magic. If you don't, if the first time you learn about ARCs, that you can get books that aren't even out yet for free. Like, it is uh, mind-blowing. So I was, um, listeners, long-time listeners of the podcast will have heard this before, particularly if you have uh, listened to the Twilight audio essay I did um, for last year's birthday month. Hey, it all comes around. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I came to reading very, very late. Um, I had some... Undiagnosed, uh, like dyslexia, that made it very, very difficult for me to read for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't actually start reading a lot until I was about nine years old when I discovered fan fiction, specifically Harry Potter and Naruto fan fiction. But we're not going to get into that. Um, and then this sounds I... like a
1: classic origin story. <laughs>
0: yeah, it truly, Harry it's Potter, not, it's little not unique. Little <laughs> Naruto, yeah, sounds good. Um, and then I, I didn't know. Still, up till that point, it's probably almost about to be eleven, ten or eleven. I didn't know that the YA section existed of the bookstore. I didn't know that romance existed in the bookstore. I didn't know any of this. What I was exposed to re books was my brother's like World of Warcraft novels, and I was like, fuck that. Um, I don't want any of that unless someone's smooching. I ain't got time. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of orc smooching in those books. Um, <laughs> but we'll I'm kid. sorry,
1: your murder has insufficient smooching.
0: Yeah, truly. Um. So I I went to the bookstore one time. My dad was like, hey, they got a section for you upstairs. And I was like, what are you talking about? So he points upstairs and there's the YA section of this, this bookstore. And I found Allie Carter's uh, I'd Tell You I Love You, but then I'd Have to Kill You, her her Gallagher Girls series. Um Life changing. Absolutely life changing. I slept with that book under my pillow for two years. <laughs> I it so much. Um, but like that was my first intro and I started tiptoeing in. I got a couple more books, not particularly romance centered because YA at that time still kinda didn't have much going on. Um and then I read Twilight. I was thirteen.
1: Yep. You were the target I, age for that book.
0: I was Ooh, One right in the sweet spot.
1: That was just like a big old ball of catnip. Like, come here. Mm-hmm. Come here. hmm
0: I read Twilight, and it was like, I did my first book all-nighter with Twilight. Um, I, I wrecked myself on Twilight. I paced around <laughs> my room sobbing when Edward left Bella in the forest like a jackass. Yep. Um, never forgive. Never forget. We'll never be Team Edward. Um. I'm Team Carlisle, If you're curious, uh, oh, I want to leave his wife for
1: Bella—that's <laughs> <laughs> a new so I like, one.
0: I like mess. I like it messy.
1: Okay, um, yeah, that's very messy.
0: Thank you, thank you. If that's you a do great that, mess. Though right you do there. inevitably have to kill one or both of Edward and Esme, so that is a sticky situation there. But it's fine. Um, but. I, I became obsessed with these books. I was like, for the first time ever, I was reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. I just kept grabbing one after the other. I grabbed like um, Holly Black and then I grabbed Melissa Marr and I grabbed like all of these people who I'd never, you know, all of a sudden all of these books were there for me and it was amazing. But I was obsessed with Stephanie Meyer. I was obsessed with these books because I was like, I think I could write a book like this. Yeah. I think like this seems easy. And I mean that in the m- most complimentary way. I was like, this oh, no, it's easy. I could do this. Oh, yeah. Um so I went on her website and I would read her blog every single day. Yep. And I will never forget learning what an arc was on <laughs> Stephanie Meyer's website. Yeah. And being like, advanced review copy wow. so people can get the books before who
1: gets those? Like, who, who gets those? book babies.
0: <laughs> um, and I never forgot it. And then, uh, like, years and years later, I go to art school. I end up dropping out of art school, go to work at a bookstore, make friends with the booksellers for a year b- beforehand so I could get that job at a bookstore, specifically so I can get access to their cache of arcs in the back room.
1: Yep, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So 13-year-old Abigail, her dream came true. She got access to arcs. So many arcs. Way more arcs than she could ever need or want. Could build a house with these arcs. Um, A deeply, deeply unstable house. Um, But uh, I do want to know, actually, because we're we're closing in here on an hour, and Mm -hmm. I I, I feel like it would be illegal if (coughs) we did all of this and didn't talk about how you started this like pillar of the romance community that is smart bitches trashy books. Like we didn't never expected it, it to last
1: this long and certainly didn't expect anybody to read it. Um <sighs> wow. I was wrong. Super wrong. <laughs> um I, I I have joked before that the two things that I underestimated when it comes to the site is one, yeah, how many readers were looking for a place where they could talk to other readers about the books they like in a way that is safe and supportive and critical. And I don't mean critical in a way of just saying everything's wrong and it's terrible and these books are garbage. But like, hey, I like this, but this sucked and I didn't like this part. Um, and also how many authors Google their own names? That was also a source of traffic in the early days. We got a lot of comments that said, you bitches have gone too far. Like, Whoa, hoo, hoo, oh, oh, no boy. Oh, yeah. People were mad. Romance at the time. There were not a lot of places where you could get criticism or critical reviews. Um, it, 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 even when, you, do you remember, did, did you ever get to see issues of Romantic Times magazine? No. Oh, okay. So if you ever see one on eBay for cheap, just grab it because they're really fun artifacts of older okay. styles of writing about romance. They would review every single Harlequin that was released in a month. They had, That's a
0: lot of books. Oh, yeah.
1: Little tiny, little tiny reviews like this. A lot of it was like plot summary and then like two lines of commentary. Yeah. Nothing ever got five stars. It was either four, three, two, or one. And it was rare to see a one star. Most things were like three, maybe two, yeah. three. A one star review. Like, I remember being at a conference and they were giving out issues of the magazine as somebody yelled, Sarah, there's a one star review on page 64. I'm like, oh, hang on. Because the thing is, a critical review teaches you what you don't like. And it teaches you what someone else doesn't like. And that's a very valuable piece of information. And also no book is perfect. So being being a critical reviewer of romance at that time when we started the site was was still a little challenging and not entirely welcome. So the, the site started because I had a personal blog because I taught myself HTML in college because I didn't want to write a final exam paper in English. I was tired of writing papers. So I said to my advisor in the English department, how about I learn HTML and I build the room the 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 website for the English department, and instead of writing a senior thesis, and they were like, "Oh, that sounds great," and I was like, "Awesome."
0: How did that work? How did that? How did you pull that one off?
1: Well, it was the late '90s, and the web was new, and it was a very very small college that did not have its own web department. Ah. I'm amazed they even had a website. We barely got email until I was like a junior, so you know I was willing to do the department specific website yeah. and. Just build it like, you know, here's the thing. And I would like look at other college department websites and be like, oh, that's cool. I'll do that. And that was my senior project. So I taught myself HTML coding. Um, And so I used that to set up my own online journal back before there was blogging software. And then I had blogging software, which automatically dated your archives. Oh, the erotic joy of that. Not having to code my own archive. Holy cow. And somehow, I want to say it was when I was posting recipes for homemade cat food. This is the most internet story that uh, Candy found my site because she had a kitten who had like explosive diarrhea and was looking to make cat food to help this problem. So it's basically diarrhea and cat food, um, <laughs> which is how all oh. good friendships begin.
0: She and emailed- romances too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Absolutely. So she emailed me, we started up uh, an email correspondence and somehow ended up with that conversation that you talked about in the bookstore where someone's like, Do you like romance? Yes, that's what I like. And so we started talking about all the romances that we loved and all the way we thought about the books. And we're like, we should start a romance site. Okay, sure. One of us bought the domain and one of us did the original, Candy did the original design. I'm pretty sure I bought the domain, which is why the domain is Smart Bitches Trashy Books, but the original design of the site was Smart Bitches Trashy Novels. Yeah. Because we were just emailing each other. So we started yeah. this, started a blog and started reviewing romances. And like I said, I never expected people to read it. And I was yeah. very wrong. So the yep. site grew and I have staff writers. I have a podcast. I have done like all of these different things basically yeah. related to these books that I've always loved to read and myself didn't have a lot of top people to talk about them with. Like, it wasn't like I had tons and tons of romance reading friends at that time. And it was a very, very powerful way to reach out to people all across the world just to talk about books, which is really very valuable. Now there's no shortage of places to do that. But, you know, 17 years ago, there weren't that there weren't that many.
0: I, I don't think it can be understated like the I don't know, the the influence of creating your own community. In, oh. in this space where there there was none. Um, like there, there was a very rigid sort of like, this is how you do things in the romance community. This is how you oh, yeah. write reviews. This is the kind of books you put out. This is, this you is,
1: know, this is how you get published. First you write the yes. book and then you get the agent and then you get the agent and then you go to a publisher and you're with that publisher and that is your only publisher and you should die on your sword mm-hmm. for your publisher. If we haven't mentioned, you need to just fall on your sword for your publisher whenever they do anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like Because oh. you were lucky to be published. Oh, yes.
1: And, that and was the really, narrative, wasn't doing it? They're you a
0: favor, so... Um, you they should took really a
1: chance on me like, no, they yeah. wanted to make money.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Weird. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I've i also been ruminating a lot on the ephemera of the Internet and the generation, um, the generational change of the Internet. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's also a, a separate conversation happening right now around physical media versus digital media. And people are just kind of waking up to the fact that digital media is in, in its very DNA ephemeral and can be taken away at any time, and that if you really, really do love something, you should try probably to get a physical copy of whatever that thing is if you can, Um, or accept the ephemeral nature of the internet and revel in that. And there is a, (laughs) the delight I take in knowing that boutique sites as we now know them, like smart bitches trashy books which is its own thing yeah. it has its own corner of the internet is beholden to no one um exists still like uh, my favorite website ever is twilighted.com um oh. it is a absolutely disgusting to look at website it's been up since the mid-2000s it's red and black does it's it have still- the little
1: under construction triangle with a little person digging a hole
0: <laughs> No, it's still there. It's still there, and it's and it has it's gorgeous. And like it's ugly, of course, but it's 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 it still exists. It's amazing. It still exists, and it's still somewhat active. It even has a thing on the side that tells you what users are online. Ugh. and like it's amazing. I love that. I love that there are still spaces where you can go and be exclusively amongst your community. Um, that's so rare on the internet. It really I was talking is. To my friend last night, and we were discussing how. A lot of conflict in these spaces comes from people who do not belong to a community clashing with another community over like just getting in each other's business for no reason. Um, Like it's the same thing with the people who don't know what romance is coming in and saying, well, you know, not all romance needs to have a happy ending. And then everyone gets up in a tizzy again for no reason. Yeah, um, that's, that's a that's a biannual space, cycle. That
1: one that that's a yeah. twice a year cycle.
0: You wouldn't, you if you were in a romance exclusive space, that's not a conversation you would be having, and they could have their own stupid conversation wherever they are. Um, you know, (laughs) right? Like, it's true, it's like
1: February, right? Like, in February, you get a number of articles about romance, Mm -hmm. and some of them are like, Look at these freaks reading books about sex and monsters and fucking Bigfoot. And then you have people Mm -hmm. who are like, Wow, we could all be
0: so lucky to fuck Bigfoot, honestly,
1: right. And there are people who, who come into the genre like, wow, there is so much to say about this incredible community. And my word count is 600 words. So let me sort of hit the top notes of the same things that are always said yeah. Sometimes that takes a turn toward, and here's a picture of Fabio, and sometimes that takes a picture, a, a turn towards, and here are some books that are coming out that you might not have heard of. And this is someone who has some semi-fluency with the genre. And then there are the people who are very fluent in the genre who manage to write about it consistently, like uh, Kelly Faircloth at Jezebel and Olivia Waite um, in, in the New York Times now.
0: Like, yes, she has a column. I didn't even know that. Isn't that is badass?
1: That so badass. So you have someone who's deeply fluent in the genre writing about it, and then you get a much yeah. more nuanced and fulsome take. But at the same time, someone who isn't familiar with romance is going to read that and be like, wow, that's, there's a lot of things that don't make sense here that I don't understand because I don't speak this language. Yeah. And then you have the the biannual cycle of, but you don't need a happy ending. Well, I mean, you don't have to have one, but don't call it a romance, please. Thank you. Bye.
0: <laughs> it can be a love story. You can have, you can have romance in books that are not Romance is capital R. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just take so much delight in the fact that that uh, smart Bitches is still that still exists, still here.
1: It, every it, year I do an annual like I file my my business taxes and I, you know, yeah. I have to file an annual report because I'm a company. And every year I do all of this sort of administrative routine work, and I'm like, mm-hmm. still here. Hell yeah, still here, still going. There's
0: still walking.
1: It ain't like we're ever gonna run out of books.
0: That is true. Not well, gonna happen. <laughs> more romance novels are being published now than probably ever in history. So. How many
1: think? How many books do you think were published since we started talking? Like 200, yeah. 300? I mean,
0: today's Wednesday, so yeah. I imagine there was a small lull compared to yesterday. Yeah, but,
1: uh, but a lot of self-published but, authors drop their books Wednesdays, Thursdays, because Tuesday's yeah. trad pub day. So, like, you know, yeah. you got a whole assortment.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I get, I start getting, I start freaking out a little bit. Like, I get a little sweaty when I think about how there's so many <laughs> books out there that I can't read just because just time. I read like a book a day and I, I'll never, oh, I'll yeah. never be able to. I'll never oh, yeah. be able to.
1: I just started a book that I want to savor and I'm like, nope, gonna gulp it. It's delightful. And it's a nonfiction book about women ghosts. Oh.
0: Oh, what? Hold on. Drop that title real fast. That's my let shit. Me,
1: you- let me let me actually pull it up on my phone so I get the title exactly yes. right for you and your listeners. Yes. A Haunted History of Invisible Women. And this like is by, that. yeah, I think it's by, it's, hang on a second, small type, Leanna Renee Heber and Andrea James, and they are writing the stories of ghosts. But one of the things that is in the introduction that I was like, well, this is just going to go a big gulp all the way into my brain. Is the idea that ghosts and those who follow ghost stories, ghosts themselves are very gendered. And that's part of part of because, you know, funeral services used to be a domestic thing before it was an Mm -hmm. industry run by men. It was a domestic sphere and women were the one doing the work of caring for and burying the dead. And ghosts are the often the residual rage of a woman who is suppressed or harmed or marginalized. And they're terrifying because you cannot reason with that rage. It is supernatural rage. And it's freaking terrifying. But these two uh, writers run ghost tours and talk about how most of the people who go on the ghost tours are women. I'm like, this is the intersection of all of my catnip. Put it in my brain. So,
0: (laughs) Sarah, um, I... It is... I Listen, listeners, I'm sorry. This is going to make you mad because I have... um, a series of books that I have not been able to publish, bless, um, called The Unquiet, which are it's an alternate history of the United States if spiritualism never died.
1: Oh, snap. Um,
0: yes. And of course, it's romance. So the ghosts, they fuck. Um, but Gotta love I love some
1: ghost fucking.
0: So, I like, I'm so on this wavelength with you. I love this. Yeah. I love the history of ghosts and ghost stories. Oh, this is your jam. This is your
1: jelly. This is your coolie. This is your chutney. um, This is all of the things.
0: Have you read Ghostland by Colin Dickey?
1: I have not.
0: You would love it. So, I. Read, I read this book every year around this time. Um, and it is, uh, it was hugely formative for me in my, in my, how I look at approaching um, spiritual topics as well as like, um, particularly ghost stories, but any sort of topic. It kind of covers, it, it lays a really good groundwork for how you should look at things even when you are skeptical of them. And he basically is trying to figure out why ghost stories are so important to Americans in particular um, and what we are trying to say with them. And he takes a look at how people like people who genuinely believe in these ghosts. But he also takes a look at like the more natural reasons why these things might exist, the racial reasons behind why we tell ghost stories, the concept of generational guilt. Um, And like it is it. Ooh, Sarah, you need to read his book.
1: I'm putting it on hold right now.
0: Bless. It is amazing. He's also just a really good writer. He did another book called The Unidentified, which is all about... um how conspiracy theories take hold oh
1: in, yeah that's yeah. kind of a relevant topic at the moment yes seems he very did it uh, right
0: around 2016 and he went and he was like talking to people who believe in like lumerians and stuff wow Oregon. um he's he's just an extremely compassionate writer i love that he combines this really uh strong grasp on history and science, with just being extremely compassionate to the people who do believe things that he doesn't necessarily believe, um, as opposed to like I read, you know, bless her, she writes very good books. She's extremely intelligent. I read Stiff by Mary Roach, and I was that's like, oh, a
1: good book.
0: It's a good book, but she's very dismissive towards people who believe in ghosts. Absolutely,
1: um, yeah. That's that, that's like, a hard huh. like that's a hard science no no woo woo, and I'm like, why not? take yeah. no those dose?
0: It's okay. It's yeah. okay. Like you don't have to believe in it, but I think that there is, at the very least, something fascinating in exploring why these beliefs exist. Absolutely. Um. So
1: I think recommend it. I think it was in an interview with uh, Connie Willis, with one of my writers, Carrie Cacerago, and Connie Willis was talking about.
0: Wait. Um, hold on. You hold on. Connie Willis. Yeah. I have the doomsday but Connie Willis. Yeah oh, yeah, okay, that's cool, that's cool, yeah. that's good. Cool. That took yeah.
1: me, that had to sink in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Carrie interviewed Connie Willis, and none yes. of us were cool. All of our inner 13-year-olds yeah. were very uncool at that moment. But these yeah. the, the, the stories about these things transcend time periods when people didn't have easy ways of communicating with each other. We all yeah. have stories of ghosts, and we all have stories of reincarnation and other worldly things. And if you have these cultures that didn't really have a lot of ways to communicate and share folklore all having these similar experiences well okay clearly humans are are very curious about all the things we can't see right and the things we can't directly quantify
0: yeah i i think that is the most human thing imaginable to see something in the dark right and try Mm -hmm. to explain it oh yeah um we are animals we are animals who don't understand the world
1: horny electric bags of meat with ghosts (laughs) yeah
0: we want to fuck and we're scared of the dark like that's it. Yeah, so it's fair enough, you know. And I think that's a beautiful place to end this episode. We want to fuck.
1: We're scared of the dark. Happy Halloween. Have a good one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, eat colorful things because they'll probably have more calories. That's also that's also a very animal thing. Ah, <laughs> uh, but not too colorful because maybe it's poisonous. But you won't find out until the end. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sarah ma'am. I can only imagine what your pluggables are going to be. Please, please. My
1: pluggables, the things I have to mention of myself. Yes. So you can find me at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. I have an amazing team of writers and reviewers who are always talking about something interesting, and we have one of the most lovely, welcoming communities online. Um, I moderate the comments. I'm in the comments every day, and not once have I ever felt like I needed a radioactive containment shower. It's a very lovely community of people who really want to talk about books. My podcast is Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm in episode number 530. It's over 10 years old. We got a big back catalog, and we talk about all the things. Among my most popular interviews on the podcast um, are Chuck Tingle and Shelley Laurenston. Those are my top two, which I love that those are my top two. That just makes me so.
0: Chuck's getting like a horror novel coming out. Yes, Camp Damascus.
1: Are you kidding me? So amazing. I want to talk to Chuck. The the, the arrival of, and the advent of Chuck Tingle has been a glorious thing.
0: Truly a blessing upon us all.
1: He's said a, a, a to be protected at all at all points. He's just mm-hmm. a gift to the world.
0: He's a man who wants to walk through fire naked, and we need to make sure That's that fine. he doesn't do that.
1: Absolutely. Clear space for Mr. Tingle. Uh you can find me on Twitter at Smart Pitches and Instagram at Smart Pitches. I have a Facebook for Smart Pitches, but I hardly ever touch it because Facebook gives me hives. Do not mm-hmm. like terrible. Facebook makes me itchy, but uh, most of the time I'm reading a book or quilting or doing, you know, virtually power washing a purple stegosaurus on a playground that's not real while listening to podcasts. Um, But I'm always, always happy to hear about what people are reading. So if you want to contact me and tell me about a book you love, I would love to hear it because that's my favorite thing. That's my favorite part. I imagine you love this too. When someone comes up to you and says, oh my God, I got to tell you about this book I read. Yes, absolutely. You do tell me all the words.
0: Well, that, that's the thing. There are so many books out there that when somebody is like, please, you have to. I'm like, thank God. I, someone gave me a compass. Yep. I can find my way out of yep. this hole. Um, that's like, I, I struggle with that sometimes where I, I get fatigued trying to look for a new book to read. And then mm-hmm. I try 50 different books and they're all like, not for me. And then I'm like, well, I guess I'll never read a good romance novel again. <laughs> and then somebody recommends something and I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Adrenaline shot. Oh, bless. Um, so I do, I have, I've, I've got things. I've got things, Sarah. I've got lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Uh, You can find me on all the places. Yes. Um, Twitter.
1: Instagram. Yep.
0: Follow the podcast. Follow me at Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter. That's right. Works by Abigail on on Instagram. Um, Works by Abigail on Instagram is where I'm putting all of my new protectorate updates for my weird paranormal near future books. Um, If you like that, get on it. Uh, Yeah. There's Patreon. You can you can join. I do lots of art and goodies and sexy stuff over there. Um, not me personally. God, no, not me. No, that's called it? an OnlyFans.
1: <laughs> that's a different thing.
0: Yes, it's different. It's different. It's it's different. Right now, I am in the middle of writing a um vampire novella, uh, where this retired vampire assassin is in love with his gardener, um, and he doesn't know how to make her love him. But spoilers, you <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <gasps> oh, Good Who could have foreseen? Uh, So that's very fun. If you like weirdly deep anatomical drawings of how vampire fangs would work, then please, please follow me. That's, yeah. We have a store.
1: Ooh, very cool.
0: You can buy buy merch that says um, vampire, uh, sorry, werewolf juice. um, And it's only slightly suggestive. Uh, Yeah. I I flooded my basement T-shirt, which, again, is only technically, it doesn't violate their
1: guidelines. Speaking of code, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's great. You can get that. Wear that to your to your grandma's birthday party. No For one sure.
1: For sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then that's I mean, all the links are gonna be below. All the links to Sarah's stuff are gonna be in the, the episode notes. Come visit. As always. Yeah, do it. I mean if you at the very least, like there is your the just Smart Strategy Books, like the website is a goldmine for information, whether you read a review or not. I'm personally not a review reader because I don't like people telling me what to do. Um, but I love that you can like go to your about page and there's like a 10 list of 10 year retrospectives of all of your like best books, all of your best episodes. You can find a history of romance. You can find the timeline of the website. You can find so very much. If there is an author you love that you want to hear an interview with, I guarantee you, you have done an interview with them. <laughs> like th- there is everything for you. Love the you like This podcast, you will like your podcast. Like it is, it's fantastic. Well, it's thank you, truly.
1: Right back truly. at you.
0: Thank you, thank you. It has been such a joy to have you on the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for um, having me. It's been a delight, and I really appreciate. Um, I really appreciate all the kind things. That, that you say about this that's really nice thank you I appreciate it you know,
0: you're you're very welcome I'm gonna turn I enjoy, purple now I enjoy making people uh be, feel appreciated for the things that they do because this is a very lonely thing sometimes um making content on the internet even when you have a community it's a lot of work that kind of does not get acknowledged so no matter who you are, thank I like you. To make sure that I express my genuine appreciation, and if I can make you cry, I I try my hardest to do that. I have, <laughs> I have bullied people with kindness before, so. All right. Um, all right. Well, this has been our two-year anniversary episode. This is the birthday one. Mazel tov! Thank y'all! Yay! Yay! We're two years old. We're eating solid foods and being a nuisance. Yay! You know.
1: I hope you celebrate most effusively.
0: Well, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably eat some more gummies or something, and that's that'll be that'll be it. I had gummy sushi the other night for Ooh. dinner, it was bad for me, so maybe we'll do that again. Yeah, why not? Sounds good. Yeah, why not? Yeah. All right, that's the end of the episode. Thanks, y'all, for listening. I'll see you next week. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media/podcasts.